hello, all you wondrous woodpeckers. Welcome back to another episode of A Little Greener, a podcast about sustainability, conservation, and nature. I'm one of your hosts, Casey, and I am joined by the wonderful Sarah. Hello, everyone. Casey, when you do this introduction, do you ever have to stop and think about what the three things are that we say, nature, conservation, and sustainability? I don't have to think about what they are, but I do have to think about like, is there an order? There's definitely an order and I definitely don't do it in the right order every time, but you guys get the gist. We're all about being green here in the environmental sort of way. (laughs) It's good to see you again, Casey. We just talked previously to recording, so I already sort of know how how you're doing, but I'm going to ask you anyway, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing pretty well. This week, my thoughts have been very close to Monarch Butterflies because I am uh, running an event for Monarch Butterflies pretty soon. We're going to do a release of about 300 of them out into nature. And I'm looking at ways that we can make this event a educational opportunity to get people to plant more native plants. So I've been sort of highlighting those um, at work and it's been really cool because the monarchs are really becoming more plentiful this time of year where I'm at. Have you guys had any chances to see monarchs out in Indy? That is awesome. First of all, I actually don't know that I've seen a monarch butterfly this season, which is I should pay more attention because I'm sure they're around, but I actually don't know that I've seen any so far. Didn't you plant some milkweed? I was just about to say, I sure (laughs) did plant some milkweed and it is, um, I don't know if it's still alive or not, but if it is, it's very overrun by weeds as are my coneflowers. So whether or not I will be able to distinguish what to pull and what not to pull, but I'm guessing they may have just been totally outcompeted. And the reason that I know this is because I've been, it's a little bit of a crazy week for me. I'm getting ready to go out of town. And so I'm trying to get stuff done. And so I did, I'm going to be out of town for a while. And so I did do my second backyard mow of the season. (laughs) I'm very proud that I've only mowed my backyard two times this year, but I did, or yeah, this, this year, uh, I did mow this morning and my weeds are out of control. So yeah, I don't know that my milkweed is going to do our monarchs any good. Certainly not this year regardless, but yeah. Maybe I'll make a comeback next Maybe year. it will. I'll see. <laughs> I will see what I can do about clearing out the weeds, but they were so tiny. I just, I don't have a whole lot of hope that they have survived and or will survive me trying to weed. So I, I don't know if people outside the U.S. are like as familiar with monarch butterflies yeah. as, as we are here. Um, but monarchs are a species of butterfly that are native here in the U.S., I think they do get up to Canada and they definitely go down to Mexico. Um, and they make a migration of thousands of miles in the fall down to Mexico to overwinter there. So those are those orange and black butterflies Mm -hmm. that you've almost definitely seen. I want to say, even if you aren't familiar with them as a species, but that migration is starting to become a more endangered phenomenon, which is why we're very focused on milkweed as their host plant and all that kind of stuff here. We need to do a monarch episode because their migration is really cool. It's like multi-generational one way. And then the other way it's one butterfly like which is crazy because normally they and they don't live very long typically and this butterfly just lives long enough to make the trip anyway so yeah episode on monarchs coming at some point in the future (laughs) a little greener 
But today, this is going to be a, a, another sort of mini-sode just because life, life is crazy. But we're going to talk about what is currently bringing me a great deal of joy in life and that we've mentioned on previous episodes. We're going to talk about the Olympics. So Casey, I've made it very clear that I watch the Olympics. No joke. It is in fact on the television set that I can see across the room. I have it on mute. It's nothing live because it's the middle of the night over there, but I'm just watching whatever is on it's volleyball right now. Uh, volleyball is the stuff of nightmares for me, but I'm watching it anyway because <laughs> it's the Olympics. Uh, do you watch the Olympics at all? Have you been following? Yes. I. So the last Summer Olympics, I guess I was here. I don't know. I, I Basically, in the last five years, I haven't really had cable or like live television to watch. So I haven't been watching, especially like the Winter Olympics, for example, but we always have them on here when my family's around. And so I've watched a lot of Olympics in the last couple of days, watch um, some swimming with Katie Ledecky. Yes. Yes. And Caleb Dressel. Dressel. Yeah. yeah. Dressel. Yep. He did. Uh, he, he meddled the other night when we were watching. And uh, so. You got we, a world you know, record last night. I think it was. Well, there you go. So I'm not like an Olympic expert by any means, but like when Michael Phelps was racing, for mm. example, I remember we were downtown in the town I live in. We had just eaten dinner and my family was like walking down the street and a family had the race on in their living room and they had their blinds open. <laughs> so like there were 10 of us on the sidewalk watching Michael Phelps win his like last medal. Oh, that's and, awesome. And like cheering outside this random people's house. So, oh. so yes, uh, I, I have really like warm feelings about watching the Olympics. And like, even the other day we were watching rugby and water polo, which I understand mm-hmm. about 0% of, yeah. but you start being like, yeah, they're really good. Like, <laughs> I don't know any of the rules, but I can tell that they're good. Yeah. Um, so I've been enjoying that a lot, but I do have kind of some complicated feelings about the greenness, uh, of the Olympics. So I'm excited for you to talk to us today about how green the Olympics are this year. Yeah. Well, I probably won't be able to like give you any solid feelings one way or the other, but I just (laughs) wanted to bring it up because it is an interesting thing as you know, we, the environment is something that's important to us. We care about sustainability. How does, how do I, deal with my love of this giant event with also understanding the impact that giant events like this are going to have on the environment. So it has been a crazy week. I didn't get to do as much uh, of a deep dive into this as I would have liked. It's also tough uh, for reasons that I'll talk about a little bit, but I do have some resources. One article that came out earlier this year that I kind of wanted to share as well as a little bit from the the International Olympic Committee itself. So we're going to kind of talk about that. And, And according to the IOC, sustainability is a priority for them and something that they want to be at the forefront of going forward. So sustainability, or I think it's actually the environment, is one of the three pillars of their strategic plan. And they do start a discussion on this with the 
candidates for host cities. So even in that candidate phase, looking at their sustainability plans for the games is part of the process. And you can read more about this. They have a page, olympics.com slash IOC slash sustainability. They have a ton of stuff on there. They have like their plans for sustainable sourcing of items and things like that. I opened some of that stuff up and it was like 95 pages. And I said, okay, I don't have time to read this. <laughs> but they do have some of those things on there. Uh, if you want to do kind of a deep dive into uh, what the IOC is putting out there in terms of sustainability. But I did want to talk about some of the specific things for the Tokyo games that they are highlighting in terms of sustainability before we go into kind of just the Olympics and sustainability as a whole. Casey, it's okay if the answer is no. I'm just curious, had you heard anything in particular about anything that they're doing sustainably at these Tokyo games? Has there been anything that's crossed your radar? I think there, there's one thing in particular that's sort of made the news a little bit more. Uh, yeah, well, okay. So I think there's two things that I've heard. One is that the Olympic athletes are sleeping on cardboard beds. Yes. <laughs> so, and I saw a TikTok when the, uh, the Olympic athletes, I think from Australia did a TikTok where she actually showed the beds that they're sitting on. And I mean, it doesn't, it's, I, I like cardboard beds remind me of like when you play animal crossing and like, you're kind of lower down on what you can make. Like they'll be like, Oh, here's a recipe for a cardboard bed. Like, it seems like a very, like, no, that was a thing. Not I've real. Never played animal crossing. Well, but, even but like, funny. yes. You know, when you're, when you're building games yeah. and then you have like materials you start with where it's like cardboard and mm -hmm. you can get up all the way to steel. Yeah. So it feels a little bit like, are we, what, tell me more about these cardboard yeah. beds, Sarah. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. I think that's the big one is you, you, because some of the athletes have had thoughts, I think on these cardboard beds, they're cardboard bed frames. Right. And it's interesting the, the little that I've seen about them, I, I would like to know where this cardboard is coming from. I actually don't know, um, but they have cardboard bed frames. They've also said that the mattresses can be recycled into plastic products. They did say can be, they didn't say would be. So I don't know whether there's a plan. The uh, slipperiness of language around recycling. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. not saying there isn't, but I'm just saying they didn't say that there was a plan. Um, but yeah, 18,000 beds made from recyclable cardboard. And they say the, the frames are more than two meters long and can support up to 200 kilograms. And I did see one, one of the American athletes, uh, track and field athlete, Allison Felix, whom I love, uh, what she actually ordered in a different mattress because she was having back problems and things like that. Obviously athletes need to be at the top of their game. So she, she ordered in another mattress, but it was bigger. <laughs> and so she was like, Hey, these bed frames are made of cardboard. And so she was able to just build out her bed frame a little bit more <laughs> to fit her mattress. So I thought that was funny. But again, I was like, where, where did that, did she like, just take cardboard from an athlete who'd already left? I don't, I don't know where it came from. Yeah. I actually might have a little insight that TikTok yeah. that I was talking about, they were talking about how some of these athletes are much taller than the average person. Mm -hmm. And so they actually did have bed 
bed extenders. So they had extra cardboard okay. frame and extra, yeah, mattress for them to, for the taller athletes add on to their standard size bed. So maybe that's where she's There you go. From. Yeah. I love it. So the, the thing about this, obviously, in terms of sustainability is that cardboard can be recycled. So when you think about uh, big events like the Olympics, you think, at least for me, the big things that I think about in terms of sustainability are just like the amount of travel, first of all, so transportation from all of the people, and then all of the the stuff, the infrastructure, so the buildings, the stuff inside the buildings, so Athletes Village, where all of these folks are staying, this is you know, usually not going to be a permanent structure. So when you're putting all of these resources into creating these things that are just going to be taken down again, that can obviously have a huge environmental impact. So using a material like cardboard that can be easily disassembled and uh, recycled uh, efficiently uh, is a good thing to do for sustainability. So it's been interesting. That's the thing that I've seen and heard the most of though on the news, because I just, I think that maybe some of the athletes were concerned about it. So, so that's been one, Uh, a few other things that the IOC is citing that they're doing sustainably for these games. So I mentioned the, the infrastructure and the building of new buildings. So they've said that only eight of the competition venues have been built from scratch for these events and that they say 25 of the 43 venues that they're using for both the Olympics and the Paralympic games were already in existence prior to the games. Some of them are from the previous Tokyo games back in 1964 um, that have just been updated a a, a little bit more. Um, And then they did create 10 venues that they say are temporary Uh, and designed to minimize construction costs and energy use. So again, not a whole lot of detail there, but again, something that it's good, at least that the organizers are thinking about, right? So let's try to minimize as much of new, the new construction as we can and be efficient with the construction that we are doing. Another thing that I think was cool, and I don't think this is the first Olympics that have done this. I think previous ones were as well, but the medals themselves, are actually made from recycled materials. So recycled electronics waste. And um, they said that they salvage nearly 79,000 tons of smartphones and other electronic equipment that was donated by the Japanese public. And they've used that to make the 5,000 Olympic and Paralympic medals. I want, that's the only other thing I saw on on TV about the Olympic sustainability efforts, but I want some sort of similar drive in the U S there's lots of organizations that take recycled electronics back. Basically when you're done using them inside them are little precious metals and metals that are rare in nature and come from really biologically diverse areas that can then be recycled into new products. And so that's super cool that they were able to pull them that out of that area, like something like 5% of gold that's mined is destined for electronics rather than, you know, your diamond rings and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. They were able to do that. And if you're interested in that, I'm sure we're going to do an episode eventually, but you can look up your closest. I know like I'm currently uh, recycling electronics at my place of work at Staples. Um, So your local 
places that are available, um, but also organizations like zoos oftentimes will mm -hmm. take cell phones because that has a really big impact on gorillas. So that's so cool that they're able to kind of make it like a national drive to yeah. be able to create those metals out of recycled materials. That's super cool. And I saw Tom Daly, the uh, UK diver. diver. He apparently is into maybe knitting or crocheting, um, but he made a little pouch for his um, with like the little Great Britain flag. Oh. So make sure it doesn't get scratched and like wrapped it all up. It was super cute. Yeah. I didn't see that. That is cute. That was great. I was so happy for him. Ugh, that's, that's one of my standout moments of the Olympics so far was his win. Um, so yeah, I thought that was cool with the, the electronics waste and the metals. A thing that I hadn't thought about in terms of sustainability is all of the equipment that they need to use to run the games. And so I thought this one was interesting. They rented a lot of uh, like electronic equipment instead of an office equipment instead of purchasing it. That stuck out to me as a really good idea. So 65,000 computers, tablets, electrical appliances, 19,000 office desks, chairs, and other fixtures have been rented and will be returned. So love that. You mentioned that uh, when we were talking about clothes and building a sustainable wardrobe. But yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're not going to need to keep it, rent it. Um, so some good stuff there. They are also working on using green energy as well or greener energy anyway. So they're trying to use re renewable energy. It sounds like hydrogen energy a lot, which is I'm not super familiar with, but also using carbon offsets for energy that they are not able to source uh, or to when they're using non-renewable energy basically they are doing the carbon offsets which we could and probably will at some point do a podcast episode on that as well and the pros and cons uh, I think doing it is better than not doing it for sure if you're using non-renewable energy and um, so they are saying that they will go beyond carbon neutrality by offsetting more carbon emissions than it emits so that's, that's at least what they say. Love to read about all of that stuff. I do think it's really cool. Um, and it does give me hope for the future uh, sustainability of big events. However, one of the tough things is that it seems like it's difficult right now to determine <laughs> what things are actually necessarily being done. Um, so another article that I found, and this came from nature.com, this was a study that came out earlier this year, I think, or maybe late last year, that looked at the Olympic Games from 1992 on and kind of looked at the sustainability of the games according to their like rubric that they created basically. And they found that the, uh, the sustainability of the Olympics is actually decreasing over time with the 2002 Salt Lake City games ranking as the most sustainable in that range that they looked at from 92 on. So that was initially really discouraging to me. And as somebody who is not a researcher, I don't feel fully qualified to comment on everything about this study, but it is, it's kind of interesting. So what they did, and I'm going to 
pull it up and Casey, if you want to click on that link too, they have some good visuals, but they have a, basically they had three areas that they looked at with regards to what that kind of fell under their umbrella of sustainability. So part of that obviously being the ecological footprint, also looking at social issues and the economic factors of the games. So they had that divided into kind of those three sections. And then there were three sections within those sections that they used to evaluate. And basically each one of those then nine sections got scored out of a hundred, according to this rubric that they've used. And that's how they came up with their scores. And, you know, they talk a little bit in the article that they were somewhat limited because looking back over these games, there's not necessarily a whole lot of data that they can pull from. So they had to use things that they were going to be able to get quantifiable data from. But I do think that, that skews their results a little bit. So if you are saying that your ecological like factors are like the things that you're quantifying are new built vendors or, or venues you're looking at the number of tickets sold and you're looking at the number of accreditation so i think that means like the number of people working uh, the event basically those are the three factors that they're scoring and you've set it up so that the higher the number of tickets sold the lower that score is going to be that I mean that just skews your your recommendation right there so a higher attended games is going to get a lower score and um I, I don't think that that is nuanced enough to actually take in the sustainability does that make sense definitely makes sense and, and as we were looking at this graph I was thinking wow Tokyo might end up being the most sustainable Olympics because right. of the COVID restrictions and not having so many People, of the visitors yeah. and and the fact that I mean when they're looking at number of visitors that does seem like a very difficult thing to quantify their behavior, right? Like quantifying the behavior of the families and visitors and just random people who show up at the Olympics seems like a very difficult thing to then like average out over (laughs) a large number like that. And so, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they they see in the long-term. Obviously the IOC has a vested interest in still coming off as the most positive, basically like a human good. I feel like the Olympics always feels like a human good. Like look Mm -hmm. how amazing we all are. And it's, I'd love to read this article in full because there has been a lot of criticism about creating these huge venues and structures for a temporary event and how these areas are impacted socially. Are they displacing people? Is this becoming an area that becomes economically depressed because it's basically an abandoned sports center that's then sending people in there? I'm not an expert on that, but these seem all like really great questions to be asking. And it seems like overall there, I, I see later in the outline, you're talking about some recommendations they have. I really like one of those recommendations about maybe having rotating cities that we go through instead of spreading. I mean, there's definitely pros and cons to that too, because Mm -hmm. the reason that people want the Olympics there is it's an economic and national boon. Um, but also there's lots of social costs. So how do we equitably choose places? But from a sustainability standpoint, that seems to be an extremely like just common sense thing to do. Yeah. 
I, I agree. It's interesting. So let's, yeah, let's get to that a little bit. So again, I have questions about this study that perhaps it's just my non-research brain that I'm not quite understanding. I do certainly understand why they had to do some things the way that they did. I'm just not sure that for me, it really paints the most accurate picture of how sustainable or not sustainable a games was. Um, I mean, again, the, the winter Olympics tended to score a little better, probably because they are lower attended uh, largely. So that, things like that. But I, a thing that I do appreciate about this article is, is one of the things that they talk about is the International Olympic Committee had set up the Olympic Games Impact Initiative, I guess, in the early 2000s that was supposed to require that host cities selected independent research partners to carry out reports on these types of things. So looking at those things that I just mentioned, so the environmental, economic, and social impacts, but I, they are saying in this article that this was only fully completed for the 2010 Olympics and it just wasn't happening. The host cities just weren't getting it done. <laughs> and so it was done away with in 20, 2017. And now basically it is the Olympic organizing committees that are self-reporting, which as you can imagine is not necessarily going to be as accurate. It's certainly not going to be as unbiased. That's just the way it is. Uh, the, the folks planning it are the ones putting out these reports. So better, I still say better than nothing. Like it's good that they're doing it. It's good that totally. they are thinking about it. And hopefully they are trying to report and record things as accurately as possible. But I do think that there should be standard independent evaluations done on the games. And I think that would be the most beneficial thing that if they are serious about this being a pillar for them, that's what needs to happen in order to really make the, the changes as, as best as possible. So that is is one of the three main recommendations that this study came up with was enforcing independent sustainability standards. Yes, I would love to see that as well. But the other two major actions that they were suggesting were to, it's to make the games more sustainable were to greatly reduce the size of the event and the number of people coming. Uh, and second, like Casey mentioned, rotating the Olympics among the same cities. And like my Olympic loving heart struggles, <laughs> struggles with both of those things. I, I love to see it. I, the thing that I love, and it is hard a little bit with the games these, this year, although I fully agree with the decisions that they made, you know, these, it was a little bit controversial controversial even having these games still with our current situation and that's something I struggled with a little bit too but I, I really am glad I think I'm glad that they're happening and I think it was also the right decision to to limit spectators this year but I mean the thing that I love about the Olympics is seeing everybody come together from all over the world I think it's amazing and I got to go to the Olympics in 1996 when they were in Atlanta. And if we establish anything on this podcast, we know that it's that I remember nothing. And I remember, <laughs> like, I remember going, I remember being there. We got to watch soccer. We got to watch track and field. We got to watch gymnastics. We didn't get to watch equestrian, but we got to go through one of the barns. And like, I remember all of that stuff and I love it. Uh, and I've been back to the Centennial Olympic Park there in Atlanta a couple of times since then. And 
and I love it and it does make me happy and it does make me hopeful. <laughs> and so I really see those being true, genuine benefits uh, of the Olympic Games. And, you know, I see the pride that host cities take in it as well. Granted, not everybody obviously feels that way. These games were protested in Tokyo and, and we know that too. And there's not always the economic boom that is hoped for that comes with it too. So I, I could see rotating cities. I would just want it to be more cities than they would probably recommend in this rotation, I guess. I don't know. It's hard though. It's hard to balance. And so that's why I wanted to talk about it. It's just an interesting thing for me. And I think it is just a struggle a little bit. It's something that I have a little bit of a hard relationship with that I love it so much. Um, but yeah, I do, I do recognize that it's a big impact and we should keep working to do it as sustainably as possible. So once again, this is me sitting right on the fence <laughs> in this issue, but I think it's a good thing to talk about. I mean, I, the Olympics are one of those celebrations of triumph of the, uh, human spirit in mm -hmm. a lot of ways mm -hmm. and pushing boundaries. And I think as humans, that's one of the best things about us. I think this year, not just environmentally, but if you think about some of the decisions athletes are making, like Simone Biles to prioritize mm -hmm. themselves over just what they're able to accomplish in one event is a really important reevaluation of what our priorities are for the Olympics. Are they just to watch the strong man lift the thing <laughs> as, as no matter, even if it's not good for the strong man or strong woman? <laughs> Um, like, is that like, what do these athletes owe us? But I also think it's a, a good time to reevaluate all the standards that we're putting in place. So is it, what things can we concede from the event? I, I think you're right in a certain way that like, it does not serve the Olympics to make the Olympics smaller. That's not what they want. Um, mm -hmm. and it, I think it's a hard point to try and convince any sort of city willing to host this, that we're going to try and make sure it doesn't have an economic right. impact on your city. But at the same time, we really have to reevaluate if, if our celebration of the human spirit is greenwashed or at the sacrifice right. of the communities that it's being hosted in, is that truly representative of what we want to be valuing? Right. And so I would love to see a lot of reevaluation from the IOC before the next games kind of go into play to see what we can do to prioritize the athletes, prioritize the communities they're in and definitely prioritize the environment. But I am glad that we're starting to see these little things. I just don't want to see those little things. Be the only things. Be the only things and, and end up greenwashing the event. So for yeah. example, in the outline, something we didn't talk about is that the Olympic torchbearers wore yeah. Uh, clothes made by recycled plastics collected by Coca-Cola. And that's actually something that Andrew and my dad and I were talking about um, while we were watching the Olympics mm -hmm. last night is there's so many ads from like Google and yeah. Comcast and Coke with all these Olympic athletes. And we were like, one, <laughs> like my, basically my dad was like, why are they advertising? We all know who Google is. And I'm like, right. But Google now wants you to remember that they're not a creepy mega corporation stealing your data at all. They want you to remember that they are a for the Olympics yeah, and that their spokespersons. And so same thing mm -hmm. for Coca-Cola. Yep. They want you to remember that they were the ones who collected bottles for the recycled clothing, yep. not the ones who are Producing. very reticent, <laughs> right. Producing that plastic and very reticent to be 
finding solutions to reduce the amount of plastic. They're yeah. a corporation who is generally not a very good actor in that way. So can we tease apart those intricacies right. to make sure that we are really making strides forward without trying to brag about things that are not actual solutions? Yes. And I don't think our public is really uh, informed enough to be able to see those differences yet. So hopefully being able to talk about that more, hopefully listeners listening to this podcast, that's, I think one of the reasons we're doing this is to talk about like, what is true sustainability? What does that future look like? What is not? Mm-hmm. And that way we can have those conversations with our friends so that we know what we're looking at. Yeah. And to me, that's why like the, the first, the first thing is this information needs to be more readily accessible and they do need to have these independent, right. you know, reports done because Again, that's how you're going to determine what those changes need to be made and whether or not the, all of these little steps that you've taken truly are making an actual difference or not, or if we're still not balancing out where, where we need to be. So yeah, it is, it's interesting and it's complicated. I'm glad, I'm glad the conversations are happening and I hope we can be, make more of them happen as we go along, you know, and, and they talk about the IOC on their sustainability page. They talk about how the Olympic games is just one aspect for them. And then they also have just their corporate sustainability standards. And then they also talk about wanting to make more of a buy-in is not the word that I'm I'm looking for, but have the athletes more involved in it as well, which I think would be really cool to see, to have athletes more invested in this sustainability side of it too. So it's not just athletes showing up to Olympic villages and going, my bed is made of what now? But they understand uh, and and can get behind and are supportive of of some of these measures too. So it would be cool to see that going Yeah, especially- since you were pointing out that like Allison Felix, for example, had to order in a new mattress, when you're changing up something that could actually impact the performance of the athlete, mm-hmm. like their bed, absolutely. If they're not in like, feel like they are, were part of that decision-making that could feel like something that's being messed with that they don't want to be messing with because this yeah. is the biggest event of a lot of their lives. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I think that's part of also just making like, having athletes and and having just the general awareness of sustainability go up amongst our general public too. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's what I got. Thanks, Casey, for- Thanks for bringing this up. This was a fun topic. (laughs) Thanks for indulging my Olympics obsession. (laughs) Of course. I, uh, in the future, need to hear more about your attending the Olympics in 1996. I didn't know that about you. That's awesome. Yep. Absolutely. Also, every I feel the need to share this story now that everybody needs to know that I accidentally messaged Casey a uh, an Instagram post about Caleb Dressel winning the race last night. Uh, inadvertently sent her a uh, DM over Instagram to our to our <laughs> podcast account. Yes, I was gonna say I'm pretty sure it was the podcast <laughs> that yep. you you actually sent it to, which sure is great. did. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, notification at like 10 o'clock last night or whatever it was. No, I, I, I saw it and it was the perfect Sarah <laughs> accidental butt send, you know, like, <laughs> so I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening to another mini sode. Again, we're a little bit unsure scheduling wise over the next few weeks with travel and 
just general busyness, but we will do our best to keep bringing you content of some kind uh, every week. So thanks for listening. If you guys have any thoughts on the Olympics and sustainability or any topics you want to see us do in the future, you can contact us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at a little greener pod, or just find us on Facebook. Or if you know us, just send us a text message or whatever (laughs) you want to do. Um, But we hope that you are enjoying your summer or winter if you're in the Southern hemisphere, I guess, and, (laughs) uh, and stay safe out there. Thanks for listening.